Uh, do please um, have your Bibles open at uh, that seventh chapter of 1 Samuel, page 277 in the Church Bibles. And uh, let's just ask that God will open his word to us. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Uh, we thank you that we have this privilege of meeting together and of being able to share your word together openly. And Father, we thank you for the tremendous privilege of such easy access to the Bible. And we pray that through your word now, uh, you will speak to each of us, that you will meet the need of our heart uh, as we turn to you. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, we say, don't we, uh, you don't know what you have until you lose it. Uh, there's a great deal we take for granted. Uh, sometimes we're even blasé about stuff. And we hardly notice those blessings until things go wrong. Now, if that's true uh, in material things, how much more true it is of the spiritual side of life? The goodness and the love of God uh, we, it so, should be so precious to us. Yet, uh, if you're anything like me, we often take it for granted. Our relationship with God calls. He seems distant, absent even. Or perhaps you're in that uh, position where you haven't yet uh, known the goodness of the gospel. Um, instead, uh, deep in your heart, there's that yearning for something more from life. Something that will bring fulfilment in a way that earthly things, earthly relationships, earthly material stuff never can. Now, uh, in Samuel's day, uh, the Israelites had taken God for granted. Uh, they'd ignored his law and they'd gone their own way. Now, the previous chapters to chapter 7 tell us the result. Um, they'd reduced their relationship with God to a superstition. Uh, they treated the Ark of the Covenant as a lucky charm to be brought out to bring them success in battle. But even with the Ark present, the battle with the Philistines had been lost. The Ark of the Covenant, that most precious symbol of God's presence, had been captured. For seven months, it was in the land of the Philistines. The day that it was lost, Eli, the high priest, his two sons were killed. When Eli heard the news, uh, he fell and broke his neck and died. His grandson was born on that self-same day. And as his mother was breathing her last as she gave birth, she called him Ichabod. Ichabod, that's another name we tend to use these days. The glory has departed. God's glory had departed from among the Israelites. And at the beginning of our chapter, uh, we read uh, in my NIV 
that after 20 years, a long time, the people of Israel mourned. Uh, the ESV says lamented. Um, the more up-to-date uh, NIV uh, says something like turns to the Lord. But the, the fact is they were lamenting. They were sad, but more than sad. They mourned as if they had been bereaved, which of course they had. They'd ignored the law uh, and they were now in a very sorry state. They'd been massively defeated by the Philistines. Their army had been decimated. Their enemies were victorious. Their economy was shattered and they were living in subjection to their conquerors. Life feels like that sometimes, doesn't it? They were really under the cosh. And lamenting or mourning was the appropriate response. Uh, but that lamenting, even lamenting after the Lord, was not enough, as we'll see. Now it's into that situation that God's leader, Samuel, bursts. Now by this stage in the narrative, if you um, read through 1 Samuel, you'll find that we've been introduced to Samuel. Um, I was going to have a quick quiz and find out what you know about Samuel, other than that when he was a boy, he had a disturbed night. Um, we learn about Samuel in Sunday school, but often we leave it there. But by this point in the narrative, we know that he is God's man. We know that he's recognised as God's man by the people. But in those chapters when the ark is absent, so is Samuel. He's ignored. Well, here in chapter 7, he reappears. And he's central to the story. He's God's servant. He's God's prophet. He's God's deliverer. And he has a message. And it's a message that's as relevant today as it was then. If we look with me at, uh, at verse 3, we read, And Samuel said to the whole house of Israel, If you are returning to the Lord with all your hearts, then rid yourselves of the foreign gods and the Ashtaroth, and commit yourselves, or more literally, direct your heart to the Lord and he will deliver you. So, our first point about Samuel is that Samuel calls the people to return to the Lord. Twice in that verse, um, the Hebrew reminds us that it is their heart that needs to change. They need to return to the Lord. They need to turn back. But that turning is first and foremost relational. It's about their heart. But what did that look like for those Israelites living around about 1000 BC? Well, it meant a change of direction. To begin with, they had to turn away from their idolatry. Now, the passage mentions foreign gods and Ashtaroth. Uh, that tells us 
that the Israelite people had followed the ways of the people around them. They were seeking prosperity in an agricultural society and they looked to gods who promised fertility. They'd been taken up with the abominable practices of fertility worship, idolatry and cult prostitution. That was not God's way. They were supposed to be distinct from those around them. Instead, they become indistinguishable. This had to stop. Rid yourselves of the foreign gods. Put them away, get rid of them. They've got no place in Israel. Now, we may be tempted to think that we are not like those Israelites, uh, but it's worth thinking again. We may not worship fertility gods, but in our industrial, urban world, it's the trappings of materialism that often hold our attention. If only I can have a new car, a better house, um, fill the gap yourself. If only I can have, then I'll be happy. Whatever we put in that gap, has become an idol for us. They may not be physical statues, but we have our idols. And like the Israelites, we need to turn from them to get rid of them. Our hearts need to be elsewhere. They need to be, as Samuel says, directed to the Lord. Uh, in Matthew's Gospel, uh, we read about this turning um, in Matthew chapter 18 and verse 3, where Jesus himself says, um, he called a little child, had him stand among them, and he said, I tell you the truth, unless you turn and become like little children, the word there is turn and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Samuel, God's servant, called on the Israelites to return to the Lord. Now that call is still there. It's not a call to live a better life so God will love us. Instead it's a call to turn from our devotion to idols and instead, Samuel says, direct your heart to the Lord. Having turned away from idols, they must now turn to God. This is where our deliverance starts. This is where the deliverance for those Israelites started. In response to God's call, and with no strength of our own, we turn. Uh, in 1 Thessalonians and, uh, chapter 1 and verse 9, we learn that that was the very path that the new Christian believers took when we read. They turned to God from idols to serve the true and living God. Return to the Lord with all your heart. But it's not a one-off event. Throughout our Christian lives, there, are, there will be times of returning to the Lord. Times when we've allowed the world to get the better of us. When we've become indistinguishable from those around us. The same idols, the same aspirations, the same misplaced trust in human strength 
in our own strength. We need to hear the call from God, from God's faithful servant. Return to the Lord. Turn from idols. How are we going to respond? Uh, reading on in, chap- in verse 4, it tells us that God's word through Samuel had its effect. Um, so the Israelites put away their Baals and Ashtaroth and served the Lord only. When they gathered at Mizpah, they showed the depth of, the ch- of their change of heart by fasting and pouring water onto the ground. Now Canaan was and is an arid country. It depends on, wa- on rainfall. Water is precious. To draw water from a well and then just pour it onto the ground, uh, that, well, that was an indication of repentance, but also of faith. Uh, trusting God to provide, to deliver. No longer were they looking to the Baals and Ashtaroth, but trusting in God. We've sinned against the Lord, they say. The return was complete, and God saw it was complete. Now, uh, in a sense, the story could stop there, couldn't it? It'd be a happy ending. They all lived happily ever after. Um, But no. The people have returned to the Lord. There has been a public demonstration of repentance and a reformation of religious practices. Surely that's the end of the matter. But there's more to be said. Uh, Enter stage left, if you like, the Philistines. And our second point. So if Samuel calls on the people to return, Samuel also cries out to the Lord for victory. Verse 7 and following, it's clear that the people have got some trust issues that need to be resolved. When the Philistines heard that Israel had assembled at Mizpah, the ruler of the Philistines came up to attack them. And when the Israelites heard of it, they were afraid because of the Philistines. Now Samuel had said that if they turned, the Lord would deliver them. Uh, But here they are again, actually in the same place as they were 20 years before. And once again, they're afraid of the Philistines. Now remember that these were the Philistines, or perhaps it was their fathers, I don't know, who had defeated the army of Israel. A total of 34,000 people had been killed. The Ark of the Covenant had been captured. The glory had departed. I'd be afraid if I thought the Philistines were coming again. So we mustn't judge them too harshly. But at least this time, in their fear, um, we read uh, in verse 8, they said to Samuel, so instead of looking for a lucky charm, this time they go to God's man, they said to Samuel, do not stop crying out to the Lord, our God. Not your God, but our God. They had returned, there was that relationship 
cry out to the Lord our God for us. Uh, And just as God heard the cries of the Israelites when they were in Egypt, so he now hears Samuel crying out. They come to Samuel and they say, cry out for us. They want him to intercede for them. And God hears the intercession. He answers with a mighty sound. I think we're supposed to pick up on that because the Philistines heard and then the Israelites heard and then Samuel cries and then God, and it can be translated, answers with a mighty voice. There's this enormous noise and the Philistines are undone. It throws them into panic. They're routed. They don't know which way to turn. They turn their backs on the Israelites and they run away. That's what a rout is. And of course, all of their defences and armour are on their fronts. So when they turn their backs, there is a great slaughter. Falling left and right, the Philistines are devastated. They are completely and thoroughly defeated. I think we're supposed to pick up on that noise as well because... In chapter 4, when the Israelites took their lucky charm, the Ark of the Covenant, into the battle, it says, when the Ark of the Lord's Covenant came into the camp, all Israel raised such a great shout that the ground shook. It's a bit reminiscent of Jericho, isn't it? But at that point, the Philistines... They were frightened, they were terrified by the noise, but they said, if we don't fight this day, we're going to become their slaves. And the Philistines won that day. But now, it isn't the people that are shouting, it's God. And when the Philistines hear God, they are completely undone. A great victory is won. Uh, But did you notice when it was that God spoke with a a loud voice? Verse 10. While Samuel was sacrificing the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to engage Israel in battle, but that day the Lord plundered. It was at the point of sacrifice There was an intercession, but there also had to be a sacrifice. The sacrifice on this occasion was a young suckling lamb. Maybe as young as eight days old. Innocent, unblemished, pure. It was in line with Moses' law, and a price had to be paid to redeem firstborn Israel. It was a whole burnt offering. It was completely given over to Yahweh. Nothing was kept back. This was the price of victory. This was the price for peace. Now surely, we can't read that without thinking of Jesus. Just as 3,000 years ago, Samuel cried out to the Lord for the people, uh, Romans 8 Uh, 34 tells us that Christ Jesus 
Is it the right hand of God interceding for us? And as 3,000 years ago, so today, we cannot be delivered without sacrifice. A price has to be paid for us to be delivered, for us to be acceptable as we turn to God. It's not the depth of our repentance, but the sacrifice of the Lamb that brings deliverance. Not for us, deliverance from the Philistines, but from the penalty and the power of our sin. Only a pure, unblemished, righteous sacrifice was acceptable. And Jesus is that sacrifice. He took our place and he delivered us to a newness of life, accomplishing that at the cross. The enemy was routed. There was complete victory. But what then? Uh, we come to our third point. That must have been a day of great rejoicing for the Israelites. But what happened next? Well, in the last few verses of the chapter, we read that Samuel rules over Israel all the days of his life. If you follow through the, uh, the account in verses 12 to 17, you'll see that it's sort of a, a postscript. And it tells us the impact of the victory. Firstly, uh, Samuel marks records and notes in no uncertain terms the victory. He sets up this rock, Ebenezer. Ebenezer, thus far has the Lord helped us. The Lord has brought us victory to this point. And it's on the very spot where 20 years before there had been defeat. Now there was victory. And as we read through, we find that Victory meant that the ravages of the past were restored. The towns, it says in verse 14, from Ekron to Gath that the Philistines had captured from Israel were restored to her. There was a restoration. There was a deliverance from the hand of the Philistines. They weren't a problem for the rest of Samuel's life. The enemy outside had been defeated. Uh, but as you read through, at the end of verse 14, you suddenly get another um, character on the stage. And you think, where does that come from? It says, and there was peace between Israel and the Amorites. Well, we've heard nothing about the Amorites in the rest of the account. But... When you go back further in the Old Testament, you find that the Amorites, it's sort of a shorthand way of, of talking about the original inhabitants of Canaan. It's the people who are still in the land. If you like, it's the enemy within. That too is dealt with. There is peace outside and peace within. And perhaps that speaks to us about the objective reality of our salvation, but also the subjective experience of our salvation. Not only are we truly saved, 
but we can feel the goodness of that as the Holy Spirit ministers to us. So God's faithful servant, Samuel, he continues to judge, to rule God's people. Notice what he does. He goes round in circles. Uh, that's not meant to be a negative. Um, it, he, re- he returns to the same place over and over, and he brings God's rulings, God's judgments to the people um, as he does his circuit. And at his hometown, Rama, we read that he built an altar. The focus is always on the Lord. Victory had a massive impact. There was a new life to be lived and enjoyed, but it was a new life that was under the leading of God's faithful servant, his chosen ruler. It's the same for God's people today. Uh, Like Samuel, Jesus calls us to turn um, to him. Like Samuel, Jesus intercedes with God for us and is himself the sacrifice. And like Samuel, Jesus needs to rule as Lord if we are to enjoy the benefits of our deliverance. They didn't go back to their old ways. They didn't go back to their old gods. They'd said, we have sinned. They had repented, they had returned. And whilst Samuel was alive, they lived under his rule. Sadly, and it won't surprise some of you, because you know the story of Israel, after Samuel died, uh, and even while he was getting very old, things didn't go so well. Uh, But that's a different story. You see, Samuel points us to Christ. But the crucial difference is that unlike Samuel, who we read only judged them all the days of his life, Unlike Samuel, Jesus, God's faithful servant, he did die, but he rose again. And he reigns forever, ensuring that the impact of his victory will never end. He will usher in the fullness of his deliverance only when he returns. But we can live in the reality of the victory and in the, under the lordship of Jesus now. So Samuel called on the people to return. He cried out to the Lord for deliverance and he ruled in the light of victory. At each of those points we can see the Lord Jesus and we can come and bow our knee before him. There's a a passage to conclude in Revelation where John says, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands 
And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash round his chest. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were a blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead. And behold, I am alive forever and ever. That's the Jesus who calls us and intercedes for us and seeks to rule in our lives. Let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you that these events so long ago have a power to speak to us because you caused them to be written down for our instruction. You revealed yourself through those events in history and now you reveal yourself through your word about those events. And we thank you that all of scripture points us to the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray that as we consider that uh, story of Samuel and the people of Israel and the Philistines, uh, that we will reflect on how we, like those people, need to turn to you. We need to cry out to one who can intercede on our behalf. And we need to come and submit to the one who is the Lord Jesus Christ and ask him uh, to take first place in our lives. Father, be with us this coming week. Help us to serve you. Not just all the days of Samuel's life, but forever and ever. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.